Brother Calvin mentioned that this is the unveiling of my kapata. I've been, I have been wearing it for a couple of years. I think I said this last year, but it's, I think it's worth Hazara. It started out, you know, dabbling. Maybe at that time, a small shul, Kahamabakshi Hashem, on Lawrence Avenue. And it was uh, a student of Mashiach. I remember sitting there with my brothers, Yochan, I'm missing. And something that Rabbi Zakatinsky said, something about the Balshemta, something uh, about a ship, I, I, I can't put my finger on it exactly. I remember going home that night, and I said, I think it's time. You know, seven generations, my family, the Gordon family, we're the Lavush. My great grandfather being a Rebbe Gordon, buried by the, you know, by the idol. He had a full nice beard. He had a full saying, nice beard. Once again, I'm being guilty into the beard. No, no, I'm just saying. <coughs> you mentioned Next year? I had it this morning. I just shaved it. I forgot I was coming. It was a mistake. Honest mistake. Anyways, so that's where it began. And that's where we're sitting right now. The rabbi I'm about to introduce is lighting souls on fire here in the five towns all over the world. It is my honor, and I am extremely humbled to introduce Yossi Zagatinsky. Alright, so I'll tell you the truth, um, you have to start off with something that's certainly truthful. That is, it's, uh, it's a little bit intimidating, a little bit intimidating, I'll tell you why. Yes, Chashu Rabbanim for sure. At Sibur, that's a Chashu at Sibur, but I can't really see anyone, I'll be honest with you, but I know that there's a Chashu at Sibur here. But the real reason why I feel intimidated is because, you know, you hear stories about the Rebbe, how the Rebbe, you know, in 770, had eyes that saw everything that was going on. That's what it is. Everything that was going on. And you know, in Chassidus, we're taught that after the Histalkas, after a person passes away, especially at Tzadik, so the Neshama is untethered, the Neshama is, uh, is not held back anymore by the boundaries, by the limitations of the body. And so whatever whatever ability to see that the, the Rebbe had, in his physical lifetime, is kiflik kiflaim, it's uh, infinitely more intense. And so if the Rebbe, when he was alive, saw everything, Allah kama, after every single year, moving away from the stalkas, from the separation, from the, the unlimiting effect of that day of Gimel Tamas, so all the more so, the Rebbe is definitely having eyes on not just every single one of us, but specifically the mamadim, the you know, the, 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 uh, the gatherings that are that are for his honor, for his, to be makasha ourselves to the tzaddik. So that's, uh, you know, it's one thing to have, you know, your parents in the crowd or your in-laws or something like that. You know what I'm saying? But the, the Rebbe himself is, is here, so it's even more intimidating. But the avoid is, the, the tachas of all this is not just, um, like Rabbi like Vital mentioned, not just for his or inspiration. It's his kashras. Trying to makasha ourselves to the tzaddik. Makash ourselves to who we're supposed to be. Makash ourselves to each other. Is that Savoida? So, so really what I want to do now, just for the next few minutes, a little bit, is really to just piggyback off of what Rav Shays mentioned. Malbushit, 
in a different way, but it's the same basic idea. You know, everything is b'shat tov matzlachas. Everything has a zman, everything is b'ito, everything in its, in its right time. If the yard site of the Rebbe, if the stalkus of the Rebbe took place in the month of Tammuz, and not just the month of Tammuz, but Gimel Tammuz. Gimel 3 is always a number of, of Chazaka. First day of the month is like, you know, sort of the month. Second day, we're getting somewhere. The third day is really, oh, that's the month. So Gimel Tammuz, it means that it must be, it must be the Rebbe was telling us something about our own personal Avayda that has to be connected both to the Rebbe and to the month of Tammuz. So let's investigate for the next few minutes just a little bit of what the Indian of the month of Tammuz is. Certainly when we think of Tammuz, so uh, if we think about it, then Avodah Hashem, it, it brings to mind, obviously, the months of the summer, which is revolving around Gullus and Korban Beis HaMikdash. And it's well known, even though the month of Av, we think of as much more intense in terms of the focus on Avelos in the morning of, over the Beis HaMikdash, but the truth is, to a certain degree, Tammuz is more intense because by the month of Av, at least by the 15th of Av, by Tubav, it's already done and there's comfort. But all of the month of Tammuz is completely Gaulistic. And so let's investigate what's the Indian of the month of Tammuz. You know, there's a, a principle that we have from the Sefer Yitzir, it's a book of creation. It's one of the oldest Kabbalah storm we have. It goes back to Avram Avinu. So there's a principle in the Sefer Yitzir that every single month is connected to a number of things. Every month is connected to a letter of the Aleph base. And every month is also connected to a particular faculty, a particular experience of the human being. And so it says in Sefer Yitzir like this, Himlech ois ches betamuz, benefesh. It says in Sefer Yitzir, the month of Tammuz is connected with the letter ches, in the Aleph base, and the faculty, the ability of sight, of seeing. The letter ches is crowned in the month of Tammuz, and so is the power of re'iyah, the ability to see in the soul, in the person. So Thomas is connected to the month of the letter Ches and the concept of seeing, the ability to see. Now if you think about it, this is a strange thing. You know, we have a, there's a principle in the Svarma Kedoshim, or Tzaddik talks about this a lot, that if you want to identify the essence of something, you always have to look at its first appearance in Chomish. So we have two things to identify the month of Thomas with, that's the letter Ches, and seeing. But what's amazing is, is that where's the first place that the letter Ches appears in Chumash? That's right, you don't have to go too far. It says in Pasuk, Hashem created the world, and before, uh, at the beginning of creation, it describes the world as There was darkness on the face of the depths. That's the first appearance of the letter Ches in the word Chayshech, darkness. And this is ironic, because seeing requires light. Seeing is the opposite of darkness. In fact, the first place that seeing is mentioned in Chumash is we are looking as that Hashem saw the light that it was good. So these two things, the letter Ches, whose origin is in the word darkness, and the concept of re'i of seeing, whose origin is in light, seems to be a little bit paradoxical. So what's this? What does this mean over here? That the month of Tammuz is a month that's connected with the letter Ches and the ability to see. There's a fantastic pasuk. The pasuk says, "Ha'am ha'olchem b'chayshech ro or gadish." The people that were walking in darkness saw a great light. That's the month of Thomas. So what's the sight of that? What's the mystery of that? What is this telling us about our Avodah Hashem? <clears throat> Alright, so you know, one of the most... A person cannot con- constrict the hashpa of the Rebbe over the world in any particular way. 
But without a question, one of the big inyanim, certainly, that the Rebbe brought to the Jewish world, Bechlal, was a Mashiach Dekha consciousness. That Geula should be something that people should talk about, something they should be living with, that it should be something that is not just uh, how you end the shmuz with, Bimeher Vimei you know what I mean? It should be something that we live with. So let's share for a few minutes something about the Indian of, of Geula. There's an amazing Pasuk in Sefer Yeshaya. It says in Pasuk like this, uh, regarding, it's talking about the light of Mashiach, the Urish of Mashiach. It just starts with Al-Shantav. So it says in Pasuk, Oz Yivakir Keshachar Oireich, Varukascha Mehera Titzmach. In English it says that the light of Mashiach is described, the coming of Mashiach is described, Oz Yivakir Keshachar Oireich, like it's going to rise like the rising sun, like, uh, like in the morning. And your healing will come quickly. That the light of Mashiach is described is compared to the rising sun. And your healing will come quickly. So Chazal point out two things from that Pasuk. Number one, the fact that Mashiach is described similar, the coming of Mashiach is described similarly to a rising sun. Chazal say the language, Kima Kima. Slowly, slowly. Tzibislav, piece by piece. The sun doesn't just come like that. It slowly rises, it slowly rises. So Soto Gula is described in such a way, which is slow, methodical. Itzat Sheni, what Zapella is, the end of that Pasuk. The sun, the Mashiach is described like again, like a sun that rises slowly. And your healing will come quickly. And we have other places in Chazal that focus on the end of that Pasuk and show the opposite point. That ghoul is not something that happens slowly. It's mamish pisaim yavay yavay. It's uh, immediate, out of nowhere. His reasons, the So it's one thing to have conflicting psukim in Tanakh or conflicting traditions in Chazal. Okay, you could call them machlekes or whatever, but this is one pasuk. So what does this mean? Alright, so let me share with you an idea. Those that the guys from the shul they might have heard this idea before. I've quoted this from the Ishbitzer. It's from Yanko Ishbitz. It's a Peladic idea, but it's it's, it's a game changer in the way this Hashem Really, it's a claw that goes back to the Kisiri. But again, to package it, Alderacha Chasidis. Yanko Ishbitzer said the following thing. He said, and he was he was a big tzaddik. He could testify to this. Yanko Ishbitzer said that it's known that if the tzaddikim wanted, they could have brought Gula a long time ago. Could have happened a long time ago. But there was a collective decision by the tzaddikim, subconsciously, consciously, not to bring it like that. Why? So Yad just says an amazing thing. He says like this. On the one hand, on the one hand, if we, if the tzaddikim brought Gula, or Klai Yisrael brought Gula, then that would result in a redemption that would fit our hasagas. It would fit our understanding, our way of thinking. The Rabbanish Shleilam that we would be introduced to through a gu'ula that we brought, that would be a Rabbanish Shleilam that fits within certain packages, certain frameworks of understanding. And the Yaakov has said that the Jewish people have decided a long time ago we don't want such a redemption. We don't want that moment where when, you know, when the Rebbe says, you know, I am Hashem, and he reintroduces himself in a, in a revealed way, 
We don't want that God or that side of the Rebbe so to speak, to be something that is limited. What we want is a gula that's mitzidai, a redemption that's coming with the full revelation as much as the Rebbe himself chooses to do, to reveal himself from his side of things, the way he wants to, which is going to be bigger and deeper and infinite than anything that we could have accomplished on our own. Therefore, said Rabbi Yankel this is why the Jewish people have collectively, we didn't force it. But then Rabbi Yankel says even more. He says, but, here, but here's, the, here's the thing. But the Rabbi doesn't like this so much. Because although it's nice for us to be introduced to a God that's way bigger than anything we could possibly imagine, but the Rabbi wants us to feel connected to the Gula. The Rebbe wants us to feel comfortable with redemption. The Rebbe wants us to enter into that world that's called Gula and have a sense of nostalgia about it. That it should be something familiar, that it should be something, not just familiar, but something that we can say is ours. And so we have this strange paradox, this strange tug of war. On the one hand, what we want is a redemption that's in full, that's limitless, the world that we want to be introduced to with the coming of Mashiach is a world that reveals the Rabbani Shalom on his terms, without being constricted from our terms. Yet Mitzat Sheni, on the other hand, that world that we're, we want to be introduced to has to be a world that is familiar to us, a world that we're comfortable with, and a world that we can say we made. Because only a redemption, only a world that we can say was Bimasi Adena, was with our own handiwork, was with our own effort. Only that is a is a gula that we can feel a hiskashus with. And since ultimately the whole tachlis of redemption is to feel is to become is to deepen, is to experience that hiskashus with the Rabbanishloim, all attachment comes from a feeling of devotion, a feeling of of of, uh, of, pu- of putting yourself in that of not just sitting back and receiving, of being proactive in the process. So said Rabbi Yankel Ishbitzer, the Rabbani Shalom did an amazing thing, which is that the building blocks of that future life, that future world that's called the world of Mashiach, the light of Mashiach, the Rabbani Shalom planted the seeds of that universe. The Rabbani Shalom, the Rabbani Shalom wove that light into the world that we experience now. And by us going through the world of Gullahs, the world of exile, which is a world that we're comfortable with, the world that we're familiar with, Hashem, the Torah of Gullahs, the Torah that fits within the framework of our lives, the system that we can feel comfortable with. Within that itself, not only are we making this world better, not only are we making this world which is anyway hospitable to us, and, and this world which is anyway within the framework of our understanding, not only are we improving in this, but we ourselves are proactively involved in building a world that's bigger than us. And this is the secret of Gula. This is why Mashiach is on the one hand being described as something which happens slow, and also something that happens quickly. In the writings of the Maral we find that, that Slow, the things that happen slowly are always indicative of derechateva, of things which are working within nature, things which are working within the construct of reality that we can process, that we can fully comprehend. 
the reason time moves slowly, everything moves at a certain consistent pace. That's their chateva, that's called nature. And the Eurish the, the, the light of Mashiach, is a light that, is, that was embedded, that is embedded, and is being developed in a world that we are comfortable with, in the world of Gullus itself, a world that we can fully grasp. But yet at the same time, what emerges out of that Avaidah, after we put in the effort of cultivating those seeds that have been that have been planted in that soil called nature, what emerges out of that is pisam yavayadai, is something that's quick, something that's in haste. And the morale explains very often that Zerizas, things that happen quickly, are always a sign of it happening beyond our abilities. We got out of its right, for example, quickly. Why? Because it wasn't something that we deserved. It was coming from above. Things that come from above are by their very nature quick. Gula is both described as slow and quick. Let's understand, this is the secret of the letter Ches. Why? You know, there's different ways to write the letter Ches. According to the on the Nusach of the Ari, the letter Ches is made of two letters, a Vav and a Zayin, with a little bridge connecting them on top. If you can imagine, that's what a ches is. What's amazing is that the letter Vav is six, Zion is seven. Those two numbers, six and seven, again in the writings of the Maral, these are very Oilam Hazadik numbers. They're very earthly numbers, they're very grounded, they're very methodical, very slow, procedural, six days of the week, even Shabbos, it's still part of that Maracha, it's part of that construct that's called nature. But in the rise of the morale, there's one number which always means that which is beyond our grasp, that which is infinite, that which is beyond our ability to even conceptualize. That's always the number eight. The eight, the eight candles of Hanukkah and so on. Eight always means Lamami Darchatava. You see the paradox of the letter Ches according to Arizal? Is that the letter Ches, which is the number eight, is itself built from above and design. It's built from above and design. Which means where does a person find Arish al where does a person look in order to find that which is infinite, like Rabbi Tav was mentioning? The answer is, in everything that's in front of you. In everything that's simple, everything that's basic. Everything that's practical, everything that's down to earth, that's where you find it. You know, the Gemara says in Milanachas regarding that little bridge on top of the letter Ches that, again, according to the way of the reason, it points up a little bit. And the Gemara says in Milanachas, the reason for that is, is because the letter Ches is the beginning of the word chai, to be alive. And that little bridge on top is hinting to us that the Rabbana Shalom is chai, that God is alive at the pinnacle of the world. That term, that the Rabbana Shalom lives at the height of the world, which is hinted to by that pointing upward bridge in the letter ches. It's a funny thing, because we have other places in Chazal that the Rabbana Shalom, that God is described as being above the world. The whole world is, is something he created. So clearly he's above it. So to say that the Rabbana Shloilam is Barumai Shaloilam, that he exists in the highest place of the world, is itself a paradox. If Hashem is Barumai, if Hashem is, if you want to truly describe his exaltedness, then that means he's above the world. But yet, he's being described as existing Barumai, exalted, transcendent. Shalayla, within the world. That exactly is the secret of the letter Ches. This is why, if you think about it, the letter Ches, which the Gemara Menachas just told us, is 
connected with the word Chai. And Hashem is Chai So Chai is 18, as you know. What's the 18th word in Chumash? So the 18th word in Chumash is also in the beginning of creation, where it describes, again, this darkness and water and so on. The spirit of Hashem was hovering, touching and not touching. Marachefes is hovering over, over the waters. The word Marachefes is the 18th word in Chumash. The word Marachefes, the Rizal taught, is a combination of two words, Meis, Rapach. Meis, Rapach means... Reish Peiches means 200, it's a Gematria 288. For those that, you know, that are involved in Chesidus, we know that 288 is the, that's the number of all the divine sparks that are scattered amongst the world. So you have a world that's dead. It's mace. You have a world that's dead. But unbelievably, paradoxically, scattered amongst those ruins of this world are 288 sparks of divine light. And how do we engage in those divine light, those sparks? How do we raise them up? How do we reunite them with their source? How do we discover them? By doing everything we know we do. By davening three times a day, by keeping Allah properly, by saying a good word. Everything that we're familiar with. Nothing out of the ordinary. Everything that we know. Tefillin, mezuzah, kashras, Shabbos, taras mishpacha, all the things that we're familiar with. That's how we raise up these divine sparks. But what is built from those divine sparks? Ironically, Davka is specifically from those actions that we're most comfortable with and most accustomed to. That's exactly, those, those are the activities that we do to build Ruchay Shal Mashiach, the spirit of Mashiach, the, the world of Gul. The Ruach Elikim, Merachavetz of Bnei Chazal said that the spirit of Hashem that's hovering over the waters is Ruchay Shal Mashiach, that's the spirit of Mashiach. How do you discover Ruchay Shal Mashiach? Where is Ruchay Shal Mashiach? It's Merachavetz. It's exactly in that place of Meis Rapach. Meis Rapach, the dead world that's con- that still has within it the seeds of redemption itself, the infinite that's contained in the finite, that itself is the secret of Chai. That's the secret of the letter Ches. So Thomas is a month that's all Gullus. But you know, there's no such thing as all Gullus. Whenever a month comes that's Gullistic, in that month, the Rebbe has to be pointing an arrow to where Gul is. So where does he point? Into Thomas. The month of Thomas is the letter Ches. Himlech ois Ches, the Thomas, benefesh. When it says, in, when, it, when it describes in Chumash the darkness versus the light, that darkness that's described in the beginning of, of Chumash is not the darkness, you know, of just there's no light. The darkness over there is a description of a reality that's beyond your ability to comprehend. Light means... Seeing means a world that you can process, a world that you can make sense of, a world that you don't, that doesn't conjure up things of the imagination. Darkness means that which is beyond your conception. The secret of Thomas is to be able to comprehend and to grasp and to feel connected to that which you can't. To realize that the entire light of redemption, which is a universe which is beyond our conception, a God that's bigger than us, is at the same time familiar to us, and at the same time nostalgic to us. The secret of Thomas is the secret of Ha'am, Ha'olch, and Ba'chayshech, Ro'or, Agadol, is a people that go in darkness and are able to see it. And this is what we're waiting for with Gula. We're waiting for Mashiach is what is, a, is not something new. I shouldn't say that. It is new, but altogether old at the same time. The ability to feel connected to something which is so beyond us. To be able to like, you know, 
hold on to, uh, you, you know, when, when a mother's like baking a cake or something, and the little kid, the mother wants the little kid to be involved, so, the, so all the little kid does is like hold on to the bowl as she pours the dough, or pours the flour. And the mother says to the kid, oh, you baked a cake. And the kid feels that they baked a cake. Now we know that it's really a joke. But that's what gula is. But real. Not as a joke. Bamas. We managed to make the cake, even though we couldn't have. See, I, have a, see, I was thinking about this. You know, someone that was so deeply attached to Irish Mashiach, to this Indian of Gula, that new world, that otherworldly dimension that's called redemption. You would think someone like that would be so impractical, would be so beyond the minor details of life. But there was no one that was more practical, there was no one that was more down to earth, there was no one that was more relatable. Despite the fact that, he, you know, that, that he, when he spoke English, it was a Russian accent, you know, and still you had Americans and, had no, and they felt co- connected to him, they felt co- comfortable to him. The relatability of someone that was so completely unrelated, that itself is the secret of Thomas, that's the secret of Gula, that's Arish that's al that's what we're all trying to do. You know, Rav Nachman, in one of his stories, the Kutubarani, talks about the Tzadik Hamas, Tzadik Amiti, the true Tzadik. And he says the true Tzadik is able to do two things at the same time. He's able to take Jews that feel that they know who their Rabbanu Shalom is and show them how they don't know anything. And Jews that feel they don't know who their Rabbanu Shalom is to show them how they know exactly who their Rabbanu Shalom is. That's a tzaddik hamas. To unite Dari Mal in the language of Yenachman, to unite those that, that live above with those that live below, all at the same time, that's a tzaddik. That's a tzaddik. That's Gula. And that's what we're trying to connect to in our own lives. To be able to go through life and to see the people that we're familiar with anyway, the people that we're accustomed to, everything that is familiar to us, a Yiddishkeit that fits within our lifestyle. And Afopikein, and despite all of that familiar, familiar and relatability, but to be completely in awe of it at the same time. That every time we put on filling, you know, I might not have the smell of the first time, you know, when it's like new leather. Although I have a type of sometimes always like to buy new straps, you know what I mean, just to have that smell again, you know. But the, to, always, to always be in awe of it. To imagine it's always as if it's the first time you're doing a mitzvah. But at the same time, you know how to do it perfectly. That's Mashiach, that's Gula. So I guess I'll end off with a mice if it's okay. So... You know, it's one of the one of the big chassidish uh, rabbis, one of the big tzaddikim. That he was he was deeply, deeply connected to Tzipil, Yeshua of longing for Mashiach, of wanting Gula. That was Yisach Moshe. Yisach Moshe was very much connected to Arish Mashiach. And so Yisach Moshe, he was a chassid of the Chayz of Ublin. but he wasn't born in chassidus. He wasn't born as a chassid. He was born I can't not a misnagid per se, but not a chassid. And so as he grew older. And he became more and more involved with Pnimis HaTorah. So he, drew, he found himself becoming more and more drawn to the to, to Tarsab Hashem, to the light of Mashiach, to the light of uh, Chassidus. But Yitzhak Moshe said, though, that he told this over later, he said that there was always something holding him back from really, you know, going all in. Of like, you know, buying a kapata and so on. Yeah, something holding him back. What was holding him back? It was only like this. He said that he was someone that always was so sensitive to Golas, and the tsar of the Shekhinah Doisha, the pain of the Divine Presence in Golas. And what's missing without Mashiach 
and he sees that one of the ikra avoidance of the Baal Shem and his, and his uh, students is Simcha. And so he, under, I, so he, he said like this, I understand Simcha is important, of course. But Lamaisa, Lamaisa, Mashiach is in here yet. So, so how can you be B'Simcha? So this is what was holding him back. So at some point he decided, you know what, he's going to raise the question, he's going to go to the Chayzeh of Lublin, he's going to ask the Chayzeh himself. So he makes the trip to the Chayzeh. And you know, by the Chayzeh, the seer of Lublin, you didn't have to ask the question. He knew exactly what you were going to ask. So the Yisach Moshe comes into the room, and the Chayzeh of Lublin turns to me and says, he says, young man, young man, I'm going to tell you a Maisa. So I'm going to tell you a story. He says, what's the story? He says, Bekitzer, it's a longer story, I'll make it short. There was once a king, like all good uh, Jewish stories begin, there was once a king. And this king, Lamaisa, was gr- he, he grew up in royalty. So th- this is a person who was obviously pampered from the time that he was very little, always surrounded by, you know, yes men and people that would always do whatever he wanted. He never really experienced anything really difficult. He had to go to school, he had to obviously be taught and be educated, but he was the prince, and then he becomes the king. So he said one day the king, this king wanted to go on a trip. And in those days, what, the, what royalty and, and you know, uh, uh, the upper class, what they used to do very often is go on hunting trips. So this king went on a hunting trip. But you know, it was a hunting trip. He had the, the, the you know, most expensive guns, the most uh, fancy hunting clothing. And he's surrounded by his entourage. So how much really of the woods is he experiencing? Not so much. He's going like that. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, the Chayzalun said, the heavens closed up. Lightning, thunder, torrential downpour. Trees are being hit by lightning all around them. Everyone is just, you know, freaking out. And everyone's going crazy. And all the soldiers and entourage surrounding the king will run away in fear of what's going on. And Nebuch the king is left by himself. What's amazing is the king, the, you know, he never was in the woods really by himself, especially in such a terrifying situation. So panic takes and he begins to run. But in the, in the woods like that, you run five minutes, you're already completely lost, and you can't find your way back. So the whole, so not only five minutes, and he's running, and an hour passes, two hours pass. Eventually, he finds himself mamish, lost in the middle of the wilderness. And he has to spend the night like this, but he's soaking wet. It's getting freezing cold. It's becoming, uh, you know, uh, it's becoming dangerous. <coughs> so, and meanwhile, the other, the soldiers, are, you know, there's nothing they can do. So they know their way back, they find their way back, but the king is never, he's lost out there. So the king has to schlep from, you know, trying to find his way, until finally, finally he sees, you know, a light from a hut or something in the distance, and he goes to the hut and he knocks on the door, and some Jew or whatever, some person, peasant, opens the door, and he says, what is it? He says, I'm the king. Yeah, sure you're the king, I'm sure. The king just came ten minutes ago also, yeah, you're the king. Closes the door. He goes a little bit more, and he knocks on another door. Who are you? The king. Baba Meissen. Closes the door. Finally, finally, he hits a door where a, a Jew opens the door. He says, who are you? He says, I'm the king. And he's like, really? He says, yeah, I'm the king. So the guy takes off his glasses. And he looks at him and he says, Yanko! That was the king's name, let's say, Yanko. He said, he said don't you remember me? What? When, I, listen, I'm a little peasant now, but I also went to, went to, went to school. We were in the same class together. Don't you remember? So the king looks at him. It's been a long time. The king says, Oh, Moshe, I remember you. So he comes in. Obviously, you know, he gives him warm clothing, some porridge tea. And the whole night, they're just reminiscing, talking about the good old days in class, talking about how they put thumbtacks under the teacher's chair, whatever, the, all the stuff that kids always do. 
And at some point throughout the night, their mom is having a good time, and someone says a joke, and their mom is rolling and laughing. And it comes time for the morning, and all of a sudden, after, after the whole night of schmoozing, if I bring it together, so the peasant looks at the king and begins to cry. This is the chayzeh says. And so the king says to the, to the peasant, Moshe, why are you crying? She said, because I got carried away the whole night. We're just enjoying ourselves. And now the sun is coming up, and I'm beginning to realize like, who I'm talking to. I'm talking to the king. I, I, you know, it's, it's, so, it's so not right to talk to the king like that. So the king turned to the peasant. He said, I'll tell you the truth. It's probably not so right to talk to me like that. But to be honest with you, I haven't had a more enjoyable night in a very long time. Because if I, if I was in the palace, there would be no way for you to come to me. I mean, if you tried, it, the, you know, the, the, everything would, everyone would push you away. But because I got lost in the woods, and the only person who would take me in was you, so I could actually like, take my, my, you know, I could take off the, the crown of my head, so to speak, and just, just be myself and just talk to a Jew that's, that, just, you know, that we grew up together. And so the king said to the peasant, listen, you know, the day, is, the day has come now already. I have to get back to the palace. He will direct me the right way. But you should know, whenever you want to come, I'll tell the message to, to all the gabayim and so on. You come in, we're going to forbring whenever you want. The Chayzeh said, that's the story of Eden and Galas. Stakachu, the Rabbani Shalom is lost in the forest. You know, the Shekhin is lost, and it's a tragic thing. We have to mourn all about it. We have to mourn all the time, especially these months. But said the Chayzeh, Why? In the tragedy, in the mourning. And it's not something, it's not easy to explain. But the Chayzeh said, by the we understand that there is a certain tanuk, there is a certain enjoyment the Rabbani Shalom has. That he never, he can't, he's not in his palace. So he's wandering the wilderness. But we're the only ones that take him in. But you know what? The irony is that when we take the king in, we recognize each other. The neshama knows the Rabbi Nisham, the Rabbi knows the neshama. We might not have been able to make it to the Kodesh HaKadsha. But if the Rabbi Nisham is not the Kodesh HaKadsha, so to speak, there is a simcha in that. And to a certain degree, the Rabbi Nisham is the simcha. And that's what Chesidim are the simple. So it means that's where Gula comes from. In the Chayshech. the Chayshech Roar HaGadol. We zechdi ourselves to the Tzadik HaEmes. We ourselves to each other, to ourselves, to the Chayshech Rokami Ma'amamesh that's within us. And be able to take all the materials that are familiar to us, all the experiences of this world which is comfortable and, and, and within our jurisdiction, within our frame of, within our sphere of influence. And not only to influence our sphere of influence, but to realize that what we're influencing in our sphere of influence is beyond anything we could possibly imagine. And we ourselves are building a world that is beyond our, our ability to, to even begin to process. To, to fulfill, you know, that it should be fulfilled within us, the bracha that the tzaddikim and chazal used to give to each other, you should see the world that you're building in your own lifetime. Each and every one of us, you should be zaycha to be Introduced to that world that we are building, Arisha Mashiach, which was to experience that. The Palma, Meshvenaim, Guyim, Biaskot Sadek, and Erevim, Amen. Good. Good.